Okay, and we're on. Thanks for doing this with me, Matt. So Bitcoin and Ethereum are two popular blockchains that many of us, if not all of us listening to this now, have come to know. But we may also have heard of Solana. But what is Solana and how much do we know about Solana? What makes it so special? I will discuss this and much more with my guest today, Matt Sorg, who is a blockchain developer and a product and tech leader at Solana Foundation. Welcome to the podcast, Matt, and thanks for coming through. I really appreciate you spending your time with me. Yeah, thanks. Excited to be here. Great. So we can get right into it, I guess. Uh, I would begin with asking, how did you move from running a store selling chocolate at Chocolopolis, if I got that right, and getting into blockchain uh, development? Oh, gosh. That was really early on in yeah. my career. That was, when I was in, it was when I was in grad school. I think my, like most of it was... Uh, yeah, going to grad school, going to machine learning, and then going into blockchain. Uh, so that story is basically I was just at Riot Games. Riot Games is like this worldwide um, video game that make uh, developer that make League of Legends, Valorant, TFT, a bunch of those. And so uh, even across that big of a company where that was makes a lot of money, they were having problems with uh, fragmented player bases and accepting payments around the world, things like that. So yeah, blockchain seemed to solve a lot of those problems. So it's pretty pretty humble beginnings, really. Um, now I think a lot more about blockchain and a lot more is possible. All right, that's great. And why build a career in the blockchain? Uh, so I actually don't think that I am. I think I'm just building my career around where there's opportunity. So uh, for a little while there, it was machine learning Then I got into kind of like health tech IoT uh, with my hearing aid startup uh, that had nothing to do with blockchain. Um, a little bit of games, but all, and then blockchain is uh, so like even in the blockchain ecosystem. I so I'm in, I'm in blockchain, but I think it's just the, uh, the the best tech to do certain things. I don't think it's necessarily that I the the end applications or like things that are enabled or like the the value prop to uh, customers are pretty universal. I yeah. think just like the tech choice is something that I'm like enabling now. But it's as much as like if I was at AWS. Uh, one time doing generalized compute versus um, being, I don't know, at a video game company at some other time, just like doing infrastructure, you know, like there's, there's just technologies that solve different problems. I think my core focus is just yeah, solving customer problems. And you sort of found yourself at Solana, is that right? Uh, that was very intentional. All right. <laughs> that Great. was like, I just lop it here. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I, I've been in, you know, my first company in blockchain was in 2017, 2018. Uh, and I saw like the challenges to a business if you start scaling, but then you hit the bottlenecks of the chain. And so I actually got out of cryptocurrency and went to the hearing aid and I started, started my hearing aid startup because quite literally because I didn't think blockchain was really ready for consumer adoption. You're always kind of gated by no matter, even if you made a side chain or something, you were kind of gated by the maximum throughput of that chain. So even if you got off Ethereum, like you weren't, you weren't going to save yourself. I actually think that still exists today. So part of the reason why I'm at Solana specifically is because it's not fragmenting. It's a, it, uh, day one. It's 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 actually scaling uh, to being able to 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 serve the needs of a 
large scale consumer app when it's actually going to move the needle um, uh, potentially and like solid like I think a lot of people can view yeah. blockchain and see how many problems it solves but that hasn't really translated into uh, actual adoption product market fit yet and I think uh, uh, Solana is like one of the main places where that can actually be realized if you really get product market fit on some of these side chains as a service whatever you want to call them you know uh, uh, subnet, supernet, whatever, you're still going to hit a maximum throughput at some point and you're not going to be able to scale to really wide adoption. So Solana is very unique in that way. Uh, yeah. yeah, that's what had me really excited. I think maybe we jumped right into Solana, but maybe we take a few steps back. Can you just tell us maybe what is Solana for maybe people who don't know what Solana is? Yeah, so Solana is general purpose, more like Ethereum uh, than it is Bitcoin. Uh, obviously, they are, they're all blockchains, but uh, by general purposes, you can put uh, code on them called, people generally call them smart contracts, where you can program to do certain things. Um, they're a little bit different than, you know, generalized compute, um, you know, like the computer at your house or uh, even the cloud computing. They're slightly different than that in a lot of ways. Uh, and uh, they both have trade-offs. So they're kind of, we like to think of them as kind of slower databases um because the but that slow database constraint comes with the positive that a bunch of people can contribute code to it there's a lot of more transparency and certification of a lot of things and that's why they make the, a pretty good use for assets so a lot of people put different types of tokens on their coins or or nfts like the you know, representation of uh um like yeah, uh, digital assets or even sometimes physical assets. And so Solana does those general purpose smart contracts, uh, but it is fundamentally built up from the ground up uh, different than Ethereum uh, in, in the way that it executes. It does parallel computation. Uh, it has a much more, like has a really efficient memory model. It's just kind of built for speed and performance without sacrificing decentralization. Um, and so there's a bunch of technologies that go in there to where it can be, have this insane throughput, but still have 2000 nodes operating the, the chain and have a really high distribution of stake and a bunch of other really positive things. So you don't have to depend on any one entity to certify this. You have thousands of entities that are all operating this network. Um, in, uh, so you can, you can not have to trust like Google to, to, to certify these assets. You can just like say, oh, there's a bunch of people running this protocol they call it solana or whatever but like they they're but anybody there's like this transparency and this ability for a bunch of people to interact with that uh code uh and so that's kind of what makes Solana unique is to be able to operate at that scale without having to be a centralized solution you have mentioned ethereum a lot would you personally say it's better than ethereum no no no, no. so ethereum optimizes for having like, like as much of a cultural and, and, and a tech thing as like being this really decentralized uh, stake and value and um, contribution engine, uh, which has a lot of value. Uh, now, Solana is better as an execution engine. I think that's pretty safe to say. It has much more efficiencies and, um, yeah, like around, like it's, it's basically people who made cell phone networks and compiler layers making a network as opposed to cryptographers. Um, and so it, it is better in some applications, like, like 
blockchain compute specific ways. But it doesn't mean it's universally better. There's trade-offs. So what would be some sort of better points of it? Like what would make it a little bit better than other layer one blockchains? Or maybe more, uh, Yeah. maybe what would make it much more better to work with than other layer one blockchains? Yeah. So the, the, the way that it, it's, it's hard to just, there's a lot of noise in these ecosystems because everybody can just claim, you know, this TPS number or this, this, this performance number. Yeah. But I think the main thing that with, with Solana is you can certify it. So you don't have to be technical and listen to a lot, a lot of the technical things I can talk about. You can just see like Solana processes more transactions per day, even from applications um, than all other public blockchains combined. It's a, it's, so it's, it is just a fundamentally different technology than a lot of these other ones. And it does those at, at Web2 speeds. So it's not some, uh, yeah. So by Web2 speeds, I mean, if I submit a transaction, I will get the response as a user of that transaction on average or over the last, you know, maybe six months around 1.8 seconds. So you're talking about like basically Web2 speeds, which is unheard of in the blockchain space. Yeah, For yeah. example, like most other blockchains have, longer what's called block times than that total turnaround time yeah and there's a bunch of other things so solana is like a very stable chain it's never had what's called a rollback so you can basically say like once the network accepts it you can be pretty confident that it's not going to reject it um later and so that's like a like there's this block work reorg thing that can happen on some other chains but that's never happened on solana so you can you just have this like really really great user experience and this really really high throughput and it's because of this extra technology, which is why I'm here, you know, it's, it's, it's just really set up. And that's why Solana has part of the reason why Solana has attracted so many great builders and, um, and a lot of the consumer applications on Solana have done so well is because, uh, yeah, there's just really good, um, adoption. People, people want to, if you're thinking about having the best user experience or making your best projects, a lot of those people choose Solana. Um, I think you touched on a little bit about how fast like Solana is off the top of your head. Would you know how many transactions it processes per second? I mean, like today it probably is like around 400, like from applications, but if you also consider like it's total, uh, throughput, it's around 4,000 and cause there's like some other votes and other transactions that gets kind of technical, but actually on Solana, that number isn't a representation of its capacity. It's a representation of like capacity plus demand. So on Ethereum, it's 17 transactions per second, and it's basically at capacity all the time. Uh, whereas in Solana, it's shown spikes in the thousands. It's just that, you know, it, you know, getting a thousand, thousands of transactions per second is kind of a lot, you know? Yeah. It takes a lot of people just kind of like pressing buttons and, and bots doing activity or whatever in order to um, get to that, that level. Uh, I think the maximum observed is in a couple thousand. Uh, Testnet, I think, has got up to twenty-five thousand, and that's a kind of a, you know, not live environment, but it has distributed nodes like mirrored uh, in terms of infrastructure. Um, and so about twenty-five thousand transactions per second, and then there's a second validator client that's being made that has been seeing up to you know seven hundred fifty thousand transactions per second, cool. and the you know just getting there is just kind of like these iterative improvements and. Um, yeah, it's just that. So like, again, it's just kind of like fundamentally different than the way that Ethereum works. I think Solana, I'm not really, maybe you can correct me. Is it the only one using the proof of history mechanism? 
Yes, it's the only one using what, exactly proof of history. There's other ones that we'll use what's called a verifiable delay function. It's probably out of the scope of this interview, but there, there are people who are trying to do similar characteristics that a, that a proof of history will do. But yeah, Slot is the only one that will do specifically proof of history as far as I know. Yeah. What, what are the differences between, I think, proof of history and proof of stake? And how does, well, I, I kind of did go read about it. And when I read the technical documentation, it's, a, it's like really, really technical. But maybe you can just yeah. kind of, like, <laughs> you just kind of easily, well, this is, this is... <laughs> easily kind of try to explain that concept to, to kind of us and the listeners. Yeah. Yeah, this is actually, you're touching on something that's uh, pretty important. I think there's a lot of, like I said, I, I like to say there's a lot of noise in the ecosystem. So it's yeah. really hard for the average person to discern what's actually different between these chains and what's, what's all like people hyping up something for some, I don't know. But every, everything yeah. is pretty financial in, in, in cryptocurrency because everybody, like a lot of people, up until this point, it's been like this speculative market and not a consumer market, which is why most of what I talk about is, is how to get good consumer apps um, and get away from this kind of consumer media or speculative mania. Um, so anyway, the proof of history is uh, is, a, is is basically a way to um, make validators work together without necessarily needing to trust each other or like while being in competition. So this is basically just a fancy way of saying. It's a really efficient way to get a lot, like 2,000 validators, 10,000 validators. Um, by validators, I mean, there's just a bunch yeah. of computers out there in the internet um, that store the active state of the ledger, and they take a bunch of transactions in from um, various sources, and they will try to update that ledger. Yeah. Um, and and they, they have a, like a paradigm of doing that. So for proof of history does is it makes it so uh, they can do that the most efficiently. That's really like the easiest way to describe it. Uh, so like these other chains will have this issue. Like when you're bouncing between like your computer and my computer and the next person's computer, a lot of times there can be like gaps in between that. Cause again, like the transaction have to be routed to what are each of our computers. Uh, yep. And so proof of history is basically a way to show exactly when the next person should start. It's kind of like, you can kind of think of it as like a bit of a cryptographic clock. It's like, Oh, your time is done off to the next person. Uh, it also basically says that somebody can't try to skip the line because so what proof of history does is basically make it so like there is proof that work is being done. And so the idea that somebody can't just skip the line is because they have to do enough work in order to show that they're actively uh, participating. But if the person who's supposed to go is going, uh, that other person can't skip. It's basically a way for other validators not to skip because everybody's trying to just get rewards right yeah and so everybody wants to, to go as early as possible so proof of history basically makes it really efficient on who goes has minimal delay between um between who goes so you get this really really smooth uh and consistent um uh block schedule I'm trying to think of like using it in terms of like physical terms it's really more like when i'm sending my letter this is digital right so like yeah. i don't send out just one i just send out like generic physical letters. I have like just tons of physical letters at my doorstep and I'm sending, I'm trying to send them out. And a bunch of people, a bunch of couriers could come by my doorstep and take them. Uh, the most efficient way to do it is if one courier, um, like everybody sent them to the, to the courier that was going to, cause like these block, these block chains, they basically group them into this bundle. 
it would be most efficient if the person who was supposed to go next, everybody, everybody just agreed on that one bundle and there wasn't confusion around that per, that courier's bundle versus another person's bundle. This is, proof of history just makes it so that some, some other person uh, can't come in and just like bundle it first and then try to trick the network into thinking that it's their bundle that's correct. Proof of history basically makes it so like, nope, everybody, that, that bundle, this, the bundle that's supposed to go, they're doing their thing. That bundle is correct. That bundle, and then the next bundle, you're supposed to go. That bundle is correct. So it's very easy because there's like a bunch of messages. You're talking about tens, tons, yeah. hundreds of thousands of messages being passed around, and then there's a bunch of com com confusion around who to communicate with at any given time, like whose bundle was correct. Um, that would that would make like a lot of inefficiencies with the network. So me as like the sender of the, the message, I can still send them out, but like the network knows. Oh, okay. Um, this this courier's bundle is, is is the correct one. That's basically like the, the goal of it. Yeah, I think I kind of get that. Um, maybe just such another aspect. You did mention like there is noise a lot in like the ecosystem, mm -hmm. right? In the blockchain ecosystem, and for 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 a lot of people, like for instance, when I got into the blockchain, you usually pick up the coins, and the value of coins was my first indicator of the actual value of a blockchain it took me a while to kind of mm -hmm. notice the difference between like the coin that powers the blockchain and like the blockchain itself and now you do hear it's like a harsh market right for mm -hmm. every cryptocurrency probably it's like it's like down in a harsh market so there is a lot of noise about solana sure, sure. right and you have so many myths going on no solana is not decentralized solana is not valuable because the like the coin itself kind of went down how would you sort of yeah. correct that like how would you separate the value that the blockchain itself brings to that noise itself about uh, a coin dropping for instance i think one of the issues that, that like can be kind of hard is that some of the narratives that you're saying are really easy like they're, they're really intuitive to say like solana is not decentralized and people typically say that because when you're multi-threaded like Solana is like that's one of the main one of the main things uh, one, there's a bunch of different technologies that kind of come together so proof of history is actually just one of the technologies uh there's tons of different technologies that make Solana better so like uh some people just assume though that because Solana is going so fast they must must have made some trade-offs somewhere else and then you can also say well it's multi-threaded so you have to have much more uh like computation, you can't just run it on like a normal consumer laptop. It has to be done on like a specialized machine. So therefore it's centralized because it must have a trade-off, uh, you know, has to have more compute. Therefore system centralized. But that's like not really the case. There's again, there's thousands of compute computers running it. Yeah. Um, and the other thing that's kind of interesting is there's other, a lot of the other L1s and L2s um, only are have a permissioned 100 validator set. Like they quite, but quite literally, nobody can enter the the, the network um, unless they get permission from the foundation, which is way more centralized than Solana. So yeah, there's some extra friction over Ethereum to operate on the Solana network, but at least you can. You can permissionlessly. Like no one's going to stop you. Um, at least no, no single entity. Nobody's certifying that you're able to do it. You just are doing it profitably or you're not. 
Whereas like these, many of the other popular networks that people for some reason don't seem to think are centralized only have, yeah, like, like you quite literally have to ask the centralized yeah. foundation at whether you can operate on their network. So I, and I think that's kind of a, a challenge for us because there's, yeah, like it's harder to explain. It takes a longer explanation to explain away the, um, yeah, the negative narrative. Because the other thing is like the negative narrative isn't just about the, the compute. There's also like negative narratives around the uh, the, the centralization of the, the concentration of the token. So like very notably recently, I think Sam Bankman-Fried or Almeida, some combination yeah. of that was over 10% of the, the coin allotment. Yeah. Um, well, now they don't own that. <laughs> uh, some bankruptcy certification yeah, yeah, exactly. that but like obviously that that like no no not trolling that, that was not uh, a good thing for a centralized network like there's no there's no bones about it like and we were trying to figure out a way to you know facilitate that being you know uh i don't know decentralized or whatever but it's like, kind of hard for us we can't force anybody, force anybody to sell or whatever somebody if somebody's going to buy that or whatever um and the other thing is like that was kind of sold to them at a time where it was really really hard to raise funds so like the, the 2017 ICO craze happened and then there was a lot of scrutiny mm -hmm. on ICOs. So Solana did an ICO and that, so they had to get money from some other force and the source. And there wasn't uh, much public activity in 2018 when they raised like that Q2 2018, there weren't, there weren't people buying into L1 tokens. <laughs> like, so there's a lot of scrutiny around the way that those like initial coin offerings happened, but it was just because there wasn't consumer activity. It didn't sell out. So it's like, it's like, it's like, and now my, my, my company was independently op operating on Ethereum at that point. Um, so I have a lot of like understanding, like it was really hard to raise yeah. funds at that point. Yeah. Like, so yeah, it's for sure. Like they took some funding from like not that many sources, but that that's cause there weren't that many VCs. Yeah. So it sucks. Like in some ways, don't get me wrong. Like it's not ideal. I just, it sucks is probably a strong word. It's not ideal. Um, but I think the scrutiny about it, um, as if there was like, there's like a difference between something that's fundamentally wrong with the chain uh, and something that is like temporarily uh, like something like a challenge to get to, to get over. And frankly, like FTX falling is certainly a challenge in its own right, but it also is an opportunity because like the token distribution is now way more decentralized. So I don't know. It, it, I think that there, we're still figuring it out, I guess, yeah. how to respond yeah. to all of those, those random things because you know some of them certainly that one of the things like a lot of them do have legitimacy their challenges like straight up like but to be clear nobody in cryptocurrency really has product market fit yet so everybody has challenges to solve. I agree. and um the thing that holds true is that if you want to have like a, the best back end for certain types of applications that are like really performant and things Solana is still like a great place, if not like of the best to execute that strategy. So, um, as long as that holds true, like, and, and again, in a very decentralized way, like very distributed stick now, very like uh, distributed validator network. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I mean, like, and it's in every single day we, we work, we all work in the entire ecosystem, um, to like, continue the progression of the, the protocol. Great. You do have to have, I guess, some understanding of the blockchain for you to understand its use cases, right? Initially, most businesses are looking at it as, you know, money, store value, payments, yeah. transaction. But there is the blockchain offers so much more than that. 
what as as a Solana developer, what are some of the best use cases that you've seen of of the Solana blockchain? Um, you're starting to see these like NFT marketplaces, which tend to be these kind of community services. Um, that's kind of an initial exploration. I don't. I think that a lot of the ecosystems are kind of overfitting to that. I think that has a place, but I don't think it is what cryptocurrency is ultimately going to be. I think um, it's rapidly evolving, but I think one of the, some of the really interesting things that I, I see, so uh, there's this whole like B to B to C type of stack, like think of like the gig economy. So, but, but all, but in places that would be really high friction to do it in a centralized way. So like decentralized internet through a, protocol called Helium, which already has like, I don't know, 400,000 operators serving their internet out to people. And that's going to be, that's, that's migrating to Solana. Um, Hive, Hive Mapper, which is basically these dashboard camps. So there's a big problem with um, collecting data for things like self-driving cars, because roads are constantly updating There's construction and there's other things. So getting an active read of the road at any given time can be kind of hard. And so this is a decentralized way to incentivize people to drive around with these or like just have the dash cam on when they're driving anyway or whatever, uh, and then get paid by, you know, this, the, the self-driving car company for these images. Um, there's also an annotation company called Senesis One, where you can have people annotate and get paid to annotate. And then, uh, you know, they have like an algorithm around the quality of those annotations and then people paying in for those annotations. So it's basically like a bunch of these like little economies of these little ecosystems yeah. that, um, uh, the power of, of cryptocurrency is that you can the 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 different sides of the marketplace don't have to have enter into like these crazy contractual relationships it's all just in the code the other cool interesting thing is that they can have people all over the world contribute and you don't necessarily have to worry about like western union or how to pay uh, around the world especially it's like like micropayments some of these yeah. things like oh maybe i made five dollars today how do you how do you realistically pay somebody in another continent, five dollars. It's like it's pretty hard to do without um, cryptocurrency. So some of these are um, with like transparency and, and other other uh, like friction friction reduction. Um, there's also like games. Games is a fantastic use case uh, in a lot of ways because um, you can kind of contribute along with your, your your player base, and they work really hard to um, form communities and and things. If you actually are give them more transparency and, and actual. Um, I call it right access, but actually the ability to interact with the actual assets of the game, then uh, really cool things can start to happen. So there's like, you know, I, I could go on for days yeah, about every yeah. individual Definitely. thing. Like, like, I think most people in cryptocurrency could probably name like 10 to 20 different frictions that it's it's reducing or, or some things to add to the value prop. But I think the, the thing to note here is that like, there's existing a ton of existing Web2 infra that helps with like payments and yeah. uh, certifications and things and consumer protections and emails and all these things. Like think about how like how many different technologies actually go into single sign-on. The thing is about with cryptocurrencies, a lot of those things haven't really totally developed yet. So they're all being kind of developed in parallel mm -hmm. at different speeds. So um, we aren't quite to the point of exit velocity with consumer protections and UX and the value prop all together. And that's why we haven't really seen an app take form yet. Like I, like a lot of the apps I just told you, like it's pretty clear that like if somebody's serving valuable images and somebody's willing to pay for them, like yeah, of course that's gonna that's gonna be a marketplace. But like there's just enough frictions right now that who knows if that's gonna succeed or not. When you have you know roughly like ten thousand startups, you know 
there's just a lot of there's gonna be a lot of crazy things that happen which is what we see like some of them are gonna be scammers some of them are just gonna fail some of them are gonna make really really dumb decisions um but you know over time like a part of like my role i think is like is to facilitate um them seeing getting to success and like that's in it yeah and that'll take time just as a final question what future do you see in the blockchain about the blockchain in the next five years and what role do you see yourself playing in that future oh the next five years um uh, i think we're gonna really start seeing some of these like ecosystem plays take take into effect where it just allows more people to contribute to data so like right now you have like a few companies controlling a lot of data and it's really valuable to be able to utilize this consumer data and we're kind of depending on them to make viable projects and if the, their project fails it's like well that data was kind of lost to society <laughs> well oh well uh whereas if more and more of that moves to blockchain where it's certifiable instead of one team that the c-suite yeah. said hey go build this product off this data you then have anybody out there who is um has the financial incentive to uh utilize that data profitably whether it be their spending activity or their ownership of some asset or whatever it may be um there's a lot more people who have transparency on what that is and i think that is a really powerful concept because um because then you have you both have more people sharing data and it's more collaborative but you also have the people who are acting upon it are seeing the benefit themselves mm -hmm. they are acting they're not um it's not like somebody's telling them specifically to make some product and that's yeah. really like that self-selection that ownership um is, is a is a very powerful concept so i think these are like really those are the things like at least the, the, that concept is something that really excites me and which is why a lot of the, the things i name are like games and these like um intermixed economies and stuff because like it's all about like these the digi digital affinities and these 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 um communities and lowering friction for commerce and things like that and so having more and more entities that are able to contribute i think is just like yeah like a really really special thing that um and i feel myself as just kind of somebody who facilitates that making sure that people are connected to collaborating uh, entities see if there's gaps in the ecosystem that i might be able to like accelerate certain things um yeah and just connect with other ecosystems so i do a lot with like the ethereum foundation and um yeah other other you know entities within the web3 space great matt thank you for coming through